last, last week of our, our Asking for a Friend series, I want to tell you guys a, a little bit about myself. Before um, I started working in churches like full time, um, I had a job at a place called Panera. Have you guys ever heard of it? Have you ever been there? Do you like it? You won't offend me, okay? But here's a picture of me, and that's actually my sister with me, but here's a picture of me when I worked at Panera, um, and I worked there for probably a year and a half. One of the things in my early, early days of working at Panera um, was obviously you had to get trained, okay? So if you've ever worked at a new job or whatever, you know that you have to get trained on how to do stuff. So one of my first couple months there, someone looked at me during the middle of lunch rush, and, and the Panera that I worked at, believe it or not, was the third busiest Panera in the entire state of Ohio. So lunch rush wasn't just like, oh man, there's a few more people here. Lunch rush was like the worst thing ever. Dripping sweat, like just running around like crazy, no breaks, no breaths. Like we were supposed to get food times to people in under three minutes. Oftentimes we were just way beyond that. It was just so crazy to get everyone's food and the amount of volume of people. People couldn't find seats. So like lunch wasn't this like, hey, let's just go have lunch and like casually like enjoy Panera. Like lunch for us as employees was the worst. And so uh, it's lunch and it's crazy like always. And someone looked at me and said, we're out of chicken noodle soup. Can you go get us some? And I was like, yes. So I run back to the back of the house and I look around and realize I have no idea how to get chicken noodle soup, how to refill it, where it is, what to do, all right? Totally lost. And so at that time, my manager walks by, and my manager's name is Ian. Everyone say Ian. Ian. All right, so his name is Ian, and I say, Ian, um, they're out of chicken noodle soup. What do I do, (laughs) okay? And so he's like, yeah, right here is where the soup is in the rethermalizer. And I was like, oh, of course, the rethermalizer, the heck's a rethermalizer. Um, And so he's like, it's this really hot thing. And so what it is, is it's a giant boiling like thing of water. And it's where we kept all of our soups. All right. And so it's probably a couple hundred degrees in there. And so he's like, what you do is you grab the chicken noodle soup out of here and you cut open the bag and then you pour it into the soup thing. And I was like, oh, awesome. Um, But as he was doing it, he said, you have to grab these... um, like thermal hot hot pad like gloves, right? They're rubber black gloves that went all the way up to our arms, maybe even taller for people who had shorter arms. And the purpose was when you would grab into the water, you wouldn't get burned, right? Because it's a really hot rethermalizer. You guys now all know what a rethermalizer is. And so when you'd grab in, the gloves wouldn't hurt you. But the hard part with the gloves is the fingers were like four times as big, right, as your regular fingers. So to try and like manage to grab stuff, it was really hard and it'd be slippery sometimes if it was wet. And so oftentimes people would just avoid the gloves altogether and just risk burning the crap out of their fingers. And so um, Ian grabs in there without the gloves this time. And he's like, so you grab the gloves and this is one of those times, and he grabbed it and he goes, this is one of those things where I want you to do as I say and not as I do right? So Ian was training me on how to get soup. And he said, every time you get soup, you need to wear the gloves as he reaches in barehanded, grabs the soup, cuts it open, pours it in. There's how you get the soup out, all right? And here's what's interesting. I think a lot of times, us as Christ followers, we can say and talk a good game about how we're supposed to live, about what we're supposed to do. I mean, think about it. In small group, how often is the answer, uh, Jesus, 
read my Bible, and pray. How often is that the answer? But yet, but yet, if I were to ask you and go around the room and say, how many times this week did you pray to Jesus and spend time reading your Bible? Many of you wouldn't have a good answer for it. You would lie or feel embarrassed, perhaps because you didn't actually do it. See, it's one of those things you can say what you're supposed to do, but when it comes into practice, you don't actually do it. And here's the deal. Today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at why Christians are so hypocritical. Perhaps you've thought of it before, or perhaps you've heard it from a friend who's asked you, why are Christians so hypocritical? I can't, under any circumstances, follow a God and be around people who say one thing and do another. All right, but that's what we're going to try to unpack today. So several years ago, actually, um, a book came out, and it's going to be a picture of it's going to be up here on the screen, and it was called Unchristian. Okay, and Unchristian was a book written by people who uh, were trying to unpack why we live in such an unchristian world and why people think what they think about Christians. And do you know what when they did, Barna uh, Research Group did a study on what the world thought about Christians, the number one thing about Christians that people thought was that they're too hypocritical. That was chapter one, number one, that they're too hypocritical. And there were several other chapters, but the number one issue was that they are too hypocritical. And so that's what we're going to look at today, asking for a friend who thinks Christians are too hypocritical. So if you have your Bibles or phones or whatever, and you want to turn to Matthew chapter seven with me, we're going to actually look at what Jesus had to say about hypocrites, okay? And so as you're turning there, I want to show you a definition that I came across, all right? The definition is simply this, in simpler terms, A hypocrite is someone who not only does not practice what one preaches, but a person who does the opposite of what one preaches. So before we dive in, real quick, at your table, so leaders, if we get a leader at every table, that might be impossible, but as much as we can, uh, I want you guys to define the word hypocrite, okay? So define the word hypocrite at your tables, out loud, with words, go. If you have your Bible still open, Matthew 7, uh, you guys can head back to your tables. Thank you, Morgan, Angeline. Uh, We're going to read Matthew 7, 1 through uh, 7, all right? So, uh, or maybe 1 through 6. Uh, Matthew 7, 1 through 6, follow along if you got it. Here's what it says. Do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your own eye when you can't see past the log in your, uh, in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy, and don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. All right? So here's the first thing I want you guys to see. The first couple verses is Jesus. This is Jesus talking. If you're one of those Bibles where it's all red, you know, maybe or maybe not. But whenever it's all red, we can know that it's Jesus' words himself. All right? So Jesus is saying this, verses 1 and 2. It's going to be up here on the screen. He says he wants us to focus on mercy, all right? So hit that, that first one for us, Alec. Huh? Mercy? Got it? 
Hit it. There it is, right? Verses one and two, Jesus wants us to focus on mercy. So do not judge and you will not be judged. You'll be treated as you treat others. Now listen, this is probably one of the most quoted passages of scripture in our entire world, right? Like you hear people who might not even be Christians say, listen, don't judge, all right? Don't judge. Jesus said, don't judge. And maybe they don't even know Jesus is the guy who quoted it, but you hear that from people in our world all the time. And listen, what does Jesus say? He says, don't judge because the way you judge will later uh, be reflected back to you. The way you choose to judge people, that's how you later will be judged as well. All right. And so when we live in this world of, of people who think Christians are too hypocritical, this is the, the drum that they bang, right? They say, Jesus said, don't judge. So you shouldn't judge me. Now, here's the thing. I think a lot of times what we think that means for us is that means that we should just let anything go, right? Like let people do whatever they want, believe what they want to believe, act how they want to act. And that's the tension that we live in, right? Because when we read the Bible, we're like, wait a minute, the Bible tells us we're supposed to act a certain way, but the Bible also says that we're not supposed to judge. What do we do? How do we do that? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to understand that difference, all right? So here's the next thing that Jesus talks about is he talks about using discernment. All right, everyone look at the people around you and say discernment. Discernment. All right, so in verses three through five, Jesus shifts and he says, listen, show mercy. However, use discernment when you're talking to people and the way that you're going to judge them. All right, and so this is where he starts to talk about the speck and the log. And this is a very famous passage. You've perhaps heard it before, but he's talking about the speck and the log and all these things. Now listen, when Jesus is saying don't judge, Like I said, a lot of times I think what we think is that he's saying, let anything go. Let anyone believe what they want to believe. Let anyone say what they want to say. But here's the deal. There's actually a couple of verses in the Bible I want to point out to you that kind of say the opposite of that. All right. So uh, if, if you can look up here on the screens, Philippians 2, 15, Paul is writing this and he says, so that no one can criticize you live clean and innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So what's that mean? That means that you as a Christian should live in such a way that people look at you in such a, a messed up and jacked up world that we live in and they see holiness out of you. Not because of anything you did, but because Christ has given you his righteousness. And so there is a standard, Paul writes here, there is a standard that we as children of God should live, right? He says, clean, innocent lives. And then when you do that, you will shine like bright lights in this world that we live in. So that doesn't sound like, hey, just let anyone do whatever they want. Don't judge, judge not. Like, no, like there's actually a standard that you should live by. But Jesus just said, judge not. So how do those two kind of things play out? What are we supposed to do, all right? See, in this culture, in this world that we live in, uh, we want to just let anyone do whatever they want. And maybe you don't, maybe like you know that as a Christ follower, but the people that you walk around with, you're going to find that they don't like this idea of right and wrong, all right? Anything goes. Believe what you want to believe. But you, like, think about this. If you were taking a math test and it said three plus three equals and you wrote seven, you would expect to get that wrong, correct? Like that's not the correct answer. And so same thing is true in the world that we live in. 
There is a correct answer. There is a right way to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said it up here on the screen, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father but through me, all right? And so Jesus is a definitive answer. And so we do know that there are right and wrong, a standard by which we're supposed to live. But how do we handle that? Because that's where it, the rubber kind of meets the road. Like if you see someone doing something wrong, you maybe won't even say anything to them because you're like, I don't know if I have the right to say it. That might be kind of awkward. I don't have the relationship with them. I want to show you one last verse. First Peter 3.15, Peter is writing. He says, instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope, as, uh, the hope that you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. That last line there is my favorite. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. And I think that's how we as Christ followers should live our lives. As we approach people, both Christians and non-Christians, to do so in a gentle and respectful way. I think a lot of times we know we're right or we want to be right. And we want to win the argument. And so we kind of come across as jerks. All right, but how gentle, how respectful are you as you approach people who are following Christ and maybe not living up to that standard Paul talked about, or people who are not following Christ, how are you approaching them? All right, it's all about the way that you approach, okay? Oh, so the, the, your, your demeanor, your attitude, uh, all that stuff matters, okay? So here's the deal. There are three questions I want to close today with. The first one is this. What if you have to deal with a Christian who is a hypocrite? Okay, what if you have to deal with a Christian who's a hypocrite? So Alec, you're going to jump like a slide or two ahead on that, okay? What if you have to deal with a Christian who's a hypocrite? What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to handle it? Well, what is interesting in this passage is we see that Jesus is talking about the speck in your neighbor's eye and the log in your own, all right? One thing I want to point out is Jesus didn't say, don't deal with the, the neighbor's speck, Right? He did actually say you can handle that if that's an issue. However, first, deal with the plank in your own eye. Second, as Peter talks about, approach it with a way that's gentle and respectful, okay? So if you know someone in your life who is um, living a hypocritical lifestyle, maybe they're in your life group, maybe they're a friend of yours who they say they're a Christian, but then the way they're living maybe doesn't bear it out that way, you can still approach that person, all right? But first, judge your motives. Why do you want to approach them? Is it to be right? Is it to, to point out how bad they are? Or is it because you truly love and care about them and how they're growing in their relationship with Christ? When I was a fourth grader, I played basketball, all right? Anyone play basketball in here? Okay, a couple of you. Um, I played basketball, and I played on the basketball team with my best friend, all right? And that's great and all until I realized my best friend was a ball hog. In which case, that was no longer fun because he shot a lot and I watched him shoot a lot. And so um, one day I was trying to approach this subject of his ball hoggity. That's a real word, okay? Ball hoggity. You can use that after you leave here. And I said, his name was Shay, okay? Shay, you were a ball hog. That's what I said to him. And he's, he acted all surprised, like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I only don't pass because you're never open. And I was like, what? Um, like, and so we got in this big argument, right, about who passes and who doesn't, who shoots too much, and blah, 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 blah. Do you know my motive for telling him he was a ball hog? My motive was, I want to shoot more, and you're taking all my shots. That wasn't the right motive, all right? And so in the same way, 
If you see a brother or, or sister in Christ acting a certain way, judge your motive first. Why do you want to point this thing out in their life? Because you just want to be right? Because you want to shoot the basketball more or whatever the case may be? Or do you truly care about them growing more? And if my guess is, more often than not, it's because a selfish motive for ourselves. And so we have to reduce the selfishness, okay? But we are supposed to admonish people. Admonish means kind of call out, speak truth and love, all these things. So I'm going to read you a few verses that point those out. Corinthians 4.14, Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Colossians 1.28 we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And finally, 2 Thessalonians 3.15, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It is our responsibility, okay? So if you find someone in your life group who maybe is acting hypocritically, it is your responsibility, but do so ever so gently. And perhaps I would even say, Bring a small group leader into it to help you kind of navigate that and how am I supposed to do this? And maybe your, your small group leader can point out some, some things they see in your heart, maybe that you have a log in your own eye that you need to deal with first, okay? The second thing, here's the next question. What if you're acting hypocritically? Maybe as I get up here, I talk about this whole idea of hypocritical. You're like, you know what? If I'm honest, I don't live for God as much as I should. And that's, hey, listen, that's that log in your own eye part. Like you're seeing other people not living for, for Jesus, but you now yourself, you're looking at your own life and your own heart. What if you are acting hypocritically? What if uh, what you post online, what if who you hang out with on Friday nights, what if the friends you choose to keep at school or sit with in the lunchroom, uh, what if those people aren't pointing you towards Christ? What if other people look at your life and if they found out that you went to church, they would be absolutely appalled? Like, wait, that guy goes to church? That girl goes to church? I would never know. Right, what if you're the hypocrite? Here's what Jesus says in Revelation 3. He says, I know that your deeds are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. See, this is detestable to Jesus. He wants you either all in or just jump off altogether, but don't ride the middle. Okay, so hypocritical living is definitely not a way that we as Christ followers should be. Finally, last thing, what if you have a friend who can't believe in God because there's so many hypocrites in the world? First, let me say they're actually absolutely right. There are a lot of hypocrites in the world, all right, because the Bible tells us that nobody but Jesus is perfect. So even though we follow a perfect Savior, we are imperfect. Now, the way we live our lives, it should be a reflection back to God, and it should bring him ultimate glory. But the reality is, if you place your faith in any type of person, you're going to be let down. So let me be the first to say to you, if you're someone who's met a Christian hypocrite, or you have a friend who's a, who can't you know, follow Jesus because of it, I'm sorry. Right? Like, Christians shouldn't treat you that way. If you've been mistreated by Christians, I'm sorry. But here's the deal. I have a quote I want to show you from, from Josh McDowell and Don Stewart. So some of you might recognize Josh McDowell's name. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we offered that free e-course. All right, he's the main teacher in that class. So some of you may be going through that already. But here's what he says. Christianity does not stand or fall on the way Christians have acted throughout the history or are acting today. 
Christianity stands or falls on the person of Jesus, and Jesus himself was not a hypocrite. He lived consistently with what he taught, and at the end of his life, he challenged those who he had lived with him night and day for over three years to point out hypocrisy in him. (coughs) And his disciples were silent because there was none. So since Christianity depends on Jesus, it's incorrect to try to invalidate the Christian faith by pointing to horrible things done in the name of Christianity. So Jesus was perfect, and that's who we can put our faith in. So here's the deal. Why do I say all this? Why do I end on this one? Because this is the thing Christians are, I think, the worst at, as bore out by that Barna study just a couple of years ago. And I want to close with this illustration. Several years ago, during the George W. Bush administration, uh, there was a guy And his name was Tim. So that's him on the left there. Um, And he was a part of the, like I said, the George Bush administration. And he was a writer, all right? And what happened is they caught him plagiarizing. How many of you guys know what plagiarizing means? They caught him plagiarizing. So he, he found out, someone found him out, called him out on it, and he had to confess that, yes, I am plagiarizing, all right? He, he admitted to it. it. It was a whole deal. And so that was on a Friday. The following Monday, he walks in and someone said, hey, the boss wants to talk to you. Well, the boss is President George W. Bush. And so he's like, oh gosh. So he's expecting to go into the Oval Office and just get hammered, right? Like he's all, he knows he's already done. He knows his career as a politician is already over, but he has to go and face the president. And do you know? said in that moment, he said that the president looked at him and he said, grace is real. You are forgiven for what you've done. And they sat down and they had coffee together and they reminisced on all the years and all the memories that they had together. And, and it's, and Tim, the guy who kind of got caught for plagiarizing said he apologized three different times and three different times. The president, the most powerful man, arguably in the entire world, said, you're forgiven. Grace is real. I want to extend this to you. Now listen, there were not, like, he still experienced consequences for his actions, for his misconduct. He was let go, but the president extended him an incredible amount of mercy. And in fact, like a couple weeks later, the president invited this man's family into the White House to show them that their dad was not a bad guy. And to say, listen, this is not how I want this to end. I don't want the last image of your dad's kind of tenure in the White House to be marred by this incredible mistake. I want to tell you how great of a man he is, how wonderful of a job he's been, how great of a friend he's been to me throughout my presidency and my administration. None of that was deserved, okay? And here's the deal. As Christ followers, none of what has given to us through Jesus on the cross is deserved, And so if we want to deal with our friends and people who make mistakes in our lives, then we should treat them the way that Christ has treated us. And if we can become a place like that, where incredible grace, incredible mercy is extended to each other, where where you let that kind of uh, be the tenor of your life. Like that's how you choose to interact with the people in your group, in our youth group, in this room, in our church, because you know what Jesus did for you. Now, is that not the type of place that you want to be? Like, is that not the type of people that you want to be friends with? And listen, 
If that's the case, if you want to be friends with those types of people, then hopefully you have friends out there who maybe are dealing with hypocrisy or all those types of things, then this is the place for them as well. And you know what? That's why next Sunday we're doing the harvest party. Not so we can have a great time decorating pumpkins and playing pumpkin games, but so that you can bring a friend and you can show them the incredible love that this place has. Uh, uh, The love that doesn't make any sense on the human side of things, but is only supernatural, only comes from Jesus. And so let me encourage you, as you're maybe sitting here and thinking, yeah, I'm not going to bring a friend next week. It's too much work. It's too much hassle. Think again. God put you in this room to remind you of that for this reason. Who are you going to bring next week to the harvest party so that you can show them the incredible love of Jesus? All right, let's pray, and then you're going to head off to your groups. God, we thank you for today, and just a reminder that none of us deserve the mercy that you've given us. So help us to remember that as we interact with each other, as we interact with people outside of the faith, and as we invite our friends next week to the Harvest Party. Help this be a place where your love is shown, and it's just tangible, uh, and people come here, and they just can't miss it. God, give us the courage uh, to speak to people, to invite people this week, um, and help our conversations to be rich in small group uh, as we go and unpack this now for the next few minutes. In your name we pray. Amen.